0: Welcome to Seize Your Midlife, the podcast exclusively for midlife women. I'm your host, Bree Schumacher. We are going to dive into all the things from health and hormones to beauty and wellness. We'll be asking the question, what's my midlife purpose? And what am I gonna do with the rest of my life? We'll also be interviewing women who've taken leaps or made U-turns in midlife. This conversation is going to be engaging, sometimes educational, a little bit funny, and always real. It is my sincere hope that you find your midlife purpose and lead your most fulfilling life. So join us on this journey to seize your midlife. Let's go. Seize Your Midlife, I am so glad you are all here today. And I am especially excited because I am interviewing Laura Ann Bird. And this is one of those interviews that I wish had a video because Laura is somebody that just exudes enthusiasm. She is one of those people that lights up every room. And Laura is one of the sisters of my dear high school friend. And so I have had the privilege of watching Laura's journey for a really long time, almost 30 years. Laura is a Wisconsinite. She's a Notre Dame grad. She's a wife, a mom of three, a writer an avid reader. And for 25 years, Laura worked in the nonprofit sector and communications and fundraising. And now her current magnum opus, a book. Laura is officially a published book author, and I could not be more excited for her. And I'm so excited for her to share her journey with you all
1: today. So welcome to Seize Your Midlife, Laura. Frida, that was the nicest introduction anyone has ever given me. Thank you.
0: That was so delightful. Wow. Well, it's true. I've known you from, you know, the the good old days. (laughs) Been a long time. Yes. Okay, so this is the only podcast that's appropriate to ask this question, but
1: how old are you? I just turned 48. 48 years old. So I've got two more years till I hit 50. So here we go. Well, give yourself those two years. You are still in your 40s. <laughs> and I'm going out with a bang. That's what I decided. Make these 40s just incredible.
0: Yes. Well, you're, you're off to a good start. Okay. And where
1: are you right now? Sure. So right now, I am in my home in Madison, Wisconsin. I live on the west side of Madison. But as you mentioned, we go way back to Wauwatosa. That's where I was born and raised. So I have lots of Wisconsin connections.
0: Love Wisconsin. I have my homesick Wisconsin candle burning right now. (laughs) (laughs) I know you do. I know it. Oh my gosh. Okay. So your book, it is officially launched Can you
1: tell everybody a little bit about the book and who it is geared towards? Sure. So my book is called Crossing the Pressure Line, and it is a middle grade novel, which means that it's geared towards kiddos roughly in that like eight to 12 year old age range. It kind of depends on the reading level, of course. Boys can read it. Girls can read it. I I definitely think it has elements of girl power woven throughout it. So at its core, to me, it is, you know, a, a girl power book. But There have been lots of boys who have read it and loved it, including my nephew you. So there we go. But it is the story of 12-year-old Claire Birch and she's just lost the person that she loves most in the world and obviously she's really struggling with loss and grief and she also has feelings of self-blame over her grandfather's untimely passing. She wonders if she'll ever feel normal again. So that's kind of how the book starts but out of the blue Claire finds out that her grandfather had made this long ago special request which sends Claire and her mom and her grandmother and their little blind dachshund from their home in Chicago to the Northwoods of Wisconsin for an entire summer. Grandpa Anthony wanted them to spend this entire summer there together, which of course sounds great, but when you're 12 going on 13, you're going to miss your friends back home. You're going to miss swim team. Who are you going to celebrate your birthday with? So Claire kind of has to Have a little sit down with herself and figure out a way to get through this summer and to make it meaningful, which she does. She sets some big goals for herself and... She has this pivotal summer, kind of a coming-of-age moment, if you will. She makes new friends. She challenges herself physically. She learns to listen to the courageous voice inside. And kind of above all, Claire really makes peace with why it wasn't for her to save her grandfather, while at the same time rescuing someone else who really needs a hand. So that's the summary of the book. You asked me who it's perfect for. I think it's the perfect book for kids who love the outdoors and who love swimming and who love fishing and animals. But having said that, there's also a lot in my book about love of books and love of reading and art. And so even if you're sort of an inside kid, I think you'll still get a lot out of it. And also I think it's great for kids who really have high expectations for themselves and set fierce goals for themselves.
0: Well, Laura... There's so many things I want to unpack here, but first of all, I just have to say that the book actually really resonated with me because I am from the suburbs of Chicago, and when I was a teenager, we moved to Wisconsin, and I consider myself wholeheartedly a Wisconsinite and your descriptions of Wisconsin summer, which there's no better place in the world to be than Wisconsin in the summer. So I just adore all the descriptions of up north Wisconsin. (laughs) Thank you. Yes. And I have been reading the book with my seven-year-old son and he loves the book. So I can tell you firsthand that it is also a great book for boys. And I gifted it to my goddaughter that I was so excited to send it to her because she will be able to read it herself and I know we will just devour it. So it's so,
1: so fantastic. Thank you. That means a lot to me. I really appreciate it. And and it is certainly my love letter to Wisconsin. I mean, you don't have to be from Wisconsin to love it, but I'm so glad that that aspect of it resonates with you because it really is a special place.
0: Yeah. And I also loved how you just have snippets in there that I know are
1: from your own life? Like the blind dachshund? Because you've had blind dachshund, right? Oh, I've had two. Yes, we're on our second one. I'm obsessed with dog rescues. And we have little Lucy, who is a blind dachshund. She was born blind. Our first one was Mookie. And watching these dogs has been life-changing for me. If you've ever watched an animal that's missing one of their senses, I watch Lucy and she gets through the world with such courage and bravery. She doesn't know that she handicapped. And I'm saying handicapped in quotation marks. She gets by just fine. And I'm really inspired by that. And that was absolutely part of my book because I think it's important to look at when someone is missing one of their senses, how do they compensate? Their other senses get stronger. What does that look like? So that happens at numerous points during my book.
0: I love that. And I love even that some of the names of your family I can see coming up with the <laughs> book too. So it's so great. Thank you. Okay. I have been watching from afar this past few weeks since your book has been officially in the world. And I just have to say, it looks
1: like it's been a whirlwind. <laughs> what has it been like for you? So since I signed with my publisher a year ago, it's been about 12 months, it has been a whirlwind. It has been so emotional for me. And that is saying something because I am already very emotional. Um, (laughs) So the official launch of my book was March 1st. So leading up to that... I was absolutely consumed with a lot of feelings of anxiety and nerves and vulnerability because here I've just created this thing and, you know, I'm sending it out in the world and that can be really nerve wracking. But I have to say since the launch, these last few weeks have been incredible. I feel much more at peace because now what's done is done. The book is out in the world. People can choose to buy it. They can choose to get it from the library. They can choose to read it or not. But now I've been having all of these wonderful visits to libraries and bookstores and schools. I did like this career day with some middle schoolers. And that for me is why I did this. You know, that that FaceTime with the kids and seeing their eyes light up, talking about books and talking about my book and they can ask me questions and we do this craft. And that's why I did this. And so I feel much more at peace now. I don't know if that makes sense. Like I feel like I'm hitting my stride now, and it feels really, really good. Oh, my gosh. It does make
0: sense. And will you just tell everybody what your Instagram is? Sure, yes.
1: It's Laura at the library, and there are underscores between each of the words. So Laura at the library. So I do post quite a bit on Instagram. I do a lot of book reviews, author spotlights, bookish things. It's just a really fun place. There's this whole bookstagram community, it's called. And I have found some really dear friends. I've never met them face-to-face, but we talk about books all the time and give each other recommendations. And it's amazing. They've all rallied around my book baby and I couldn't be thankful. Yeah.
0: I love that. But if you are a book lover... Laura gives if she must I mean, I can't even imagine how many books you you read in a month because you always have a new book you're highlighting. Yeah. So if you are a book lover you will love Laura's Instagram but I also wanted her to share it because she has posted in you know recent weeks just these dear pictures of her surrounded by kids listening to her read her book or get the little stickers that are inspired from her book. And it's just dear. And I think her personality comes through in those pictures. So I really want you to go and check out her Instagram and see those pictures and see her dream coming to life, which I think is so cool. And what you said about finding your stride and kind of what is done is done, and now you're out there shining. I just think that is amazing. And it's kind of like a labor, right? Like you've worked up to it. And now here you go. This is the birth of
1: your baby. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. And that's so sweet that you pointed that out about the photographs of me and the kids, you know, that I've posted. I see them and it's just breathtaking for me because this has been such a long journey and I'm seeing right there the fruits of my labor and it's just breathtaking. It's everything I could have imagined and more. Well, I believe it because I can feel it through this little tiny
0: picture. So I can't even imagine what it feels like to be you standing in that moment. But I just want to like go back to the beginning Mm -hmm. because everyone knows whether you have written a book or not that a book does not happen overnight. Mm -hmm. So how long was this idea brewing inside you before you actually put pen to paper?
1: So that's the million-dollar question, Brita. Uh, <laughs> the answer might surprise you. So I've had this idea for my book. I, I got it about 15 years ago. Oh, my God. A long time ago. So I have three kids, as you mentioned. My daughters are twins, and they're both 18, and my son is 15. So back when they were toddlers, and I don't remember the exact year, but I know I had three little people crawling over me at all times. So I'm guessing You know, probably 15 years ago. Out of, I I should also mention before I go any further that I've always, always wanted to write a children's book. I was an English major in college. I have spent my entire life wolfing down books. I breathe books. I love books, right? So my goal was always to write a book. But when you have three toddlers climbing all over you, that's not necessarily the ideal time to write a book. So imagine my surprise when out of the blue one day, and I mean this truly, this image sort of like landed in my lap. And it was this image of a girl and she's wearing something and she's walking out of a particular place. And I don't want to say what it is because that's literally the ending scene of my book, right? No spoilers here. So this image came into my head and I'm like, who is this girl? Why am I getting this idea in my head. What's her story? What in her life has brought her to this particular moment in time? So (laughs) all the years later, all the years of running carpool and folding laundry and making dinner and also working my other job of nonprofit fundraising and communications, I have been thinking about this girl and that girl ultimately became Claire and I pieced her entire story together. So it took a long time before I was finally able to take all those ideas and literally put them on paper or a Word document, if you will. So it took a long time. The idea has been with me a long time. Yeah. Well, and I love if
0: anybody has listened to my Purpose podcast, I talk about having a similar vision, like literally just the clearest vision of my idea for my Spanish school. So I can relate to that like, oh my gosh, wow, it's like a voice coming to you. So I love that. I don't think that that happens often to people. And I think it's good for listeners to hear that this wasn't an overnight success, it was really like a long time in the making of dreaming and thinking. And that's a lot of times what is the back side of a leap, right? Like It's not the overnight, it's the long winding journey. And I think that goes really well into my next question that I have for you, which is, you know, I have also three kids Mm -hmm. and I know and can relate to the chaos of it all. Like you said, the laundry and the dinners and the carding everybody to all their activities and all those things. So I just think like much less finding inspiration. How did you carve out in your busy days time to sit down and write a full book, like a whole book?
1: Wow. That's a great question. So I I almost feel that there are two answers that I want to give you for that. And they're two very different answers. So before I even sat down to write the book, I had to get to a place in my head where I really felt the fire being lit under me. Does that make sense? Yes. So I just want to tell a little story because it kind of lays the foundation. I'm a huge fan of Elizabeth Gilbert. I don't know if you've read any of her books before. She's best known for her memoir, Eat, Pray, Love, but she's written a lot of other stuff. And about seven years ago, she came out with this book called Big Magic, Creative Living Beyond Fear. So of course I went out and bought it right away. And I swear to you, this book changed my life. Oh my gosh. I read Eat, Love. Everybody's read Eat, Love, right? It's the best, but I haven't read Big Magic. Okay. Well, Rita, I think you would love it because she has this whole idea of the universe. And I can't remember if Elizabeth Gilbert calls it Creative mother universe, but that's what I started calling it. So, creative mother universe, right? And she sends us ideas. She sends us like these bolts of energy and electricity and inspiration. And it's our job to catch on to them and hold on to them and do something with them. We need to take them and run with them, right? Because if we don't, they roll on to someone else. So, the way she presents this whole creative process is really illuminating in fact i want to actually read you a couple lines from page 27 in big magic because i literally when i was reading this like seven years ago underlined this whole section and i dog-eared the page and i felt like it was a message coming straight for me if that makes any sense so here we go and you have treasures hidden within you extraordinary treasures. And so do I. And so does everyone around us. And bringing those treasures to light takes work and faith and focus and courage and hours of devotion. And the clock is ticking and the world is spinning. And we simply do not have time anymore to think so small. So yeah, so I read that and I thought, what am I doing? Like with every year that went by, There was this voice in the back of my head saying, why haven't you written your novel yet? Why haven't you written your novel yet? You know, at the surface level, it's easy to see why I hadn't written my novel yet. I had kids and, you know, they were everywhere and they were doing all the activities and they needed all the attention. But suddenly you kind of start shifting into this new stage, which is where I am now with teenagers and they need you a lot less. They need you in different ways. Let me go back and say that. They need you in different ways, of course. But there's not that physical exhaustion, you know, that goes along with mothering them anymore. And so I I read these words by Elizabeth Gilbert and I look at my teenagers and I'm like, you know what? It's time. Like it is time for me to do this. So I sat down and I made up a plan and I committed to writing 250 words a day, just 250, which isn't much, but when you have responsibilities and kids and another job, that's a commitment. I was going to do 250 words Monday through Friday. And I figured if I did that for nine or 10 months, it would take me to the end of my novel. And so that's exactly what I did. I sat down and committed to 250 words a day and I kept a spreadsheet to track my daily progress. And if there was a day that I happened to miss or I had writer's block, guess what? The next day it was 500 words. So I really held myself accountable because I felt Like it was so important to me and my sense of being and my sense of purpose. I just want to read one other thing from Big Magic because it's so relevant to what I'm talking about right now. So Elizabeth Gilbert writes about reading an interview that she read with John Updike. And John Updike said that some of the best novels you've ever read were written in an hour a day. So I'm like, you know, God, if John Updike says that, I can do this. I can I can devote an hour or two a day to doing this. So ultimately, that took me to the end of the process. And let me also say that there was a lot of self-doubt, Rita. Like this was not a straightforward process for me. I had to consciously check all of that self-doubt at the door. You know, I thought, "Okay, I'm going to do exactly what Elizabeth Gilbert is saying about I'm, I'm going to get past my fear and I'm going to commit myself to doing this creative endeavor and I'll worry about the other details later." And that's what i did. Oh my
0: gosh. Well, there's so many things you said that i want to like catch up on. One is kind of what you said that you garnered from Elizabeth from her book. And that is, you know, that magic inside of us, that special gift mm-hmm. that only we have. And i think in a way it's like a crime. It's a crime to not use that gift and have oh. it come to fruition. And i think that's such an important voice to hear. So I really appreciate that. Shannon actually in episode number five talks about like, what's the cost of not going after your dream? And I think that's such a good thing to remember. What's the cost of living your
1: life without your dream? Right. I mean, when year after year go by and that voice is getting louder, like, listen to me, I'm here, write your book. Why are you waiting? I I mean... That comes at a cost when when you keep having to turn your back on that voice because it's there and it's only going to get stronger, right? And, and that, funny enough, really became a theme in the book itself. You know, Claire learning to listen to the voice in her head because we all have it. It's all there. We just have to cut through all the chatter and all of the the noise that's in our lives and really get present and get quiet and listen to what our voice is telling us because she knows. I mean, that voice knows.
0: Yes. And you said something that has come up as a theme again and again, and that is getting quiet and waiting for the voice and listening to the voice. And I think that's, it's always just such a good reminder. But the other thing that you talked about that I think is really important to point out is that you did not sit down at your computer and go, okay, I'm going to write a book. You said, I'm going to write 250 pages a day. And I love that because I think, you know, I think the way that our, world works right now, like with social media, people's dreams look like they happen overnight. It looks like people write a book overnight. And I think whatever your dream is, whether it's to write a book, whether it's to start a business, whether it's to paint pictures, whatever your dream is, giving yourself those tiny little milestone goals and holding yourself accountable is how you get to the big dream. So I love that you told us exactly how you did that and how it was those tiny 250 words segments that you we're going to work on day by day.
1: Yeah, it's true. I mean, it's what I tell my kids when they have a big project for school. Chunk it out. You break it down into chunks, right? And so I had to use that advice for myself. Just chunk it out. Get a plan in place. I'm really good with coming up at to-do lists. And I just, it's a process. But yeah, chunk it out.
0: I like that. And so, okay, you're, you're sitting down every day. You're holding yourself accountable. Like you said, some days you had to double up because mm-hmm. you didn't get it done the day before. So what was was that 9 months? Was that a year? What did that look like?
1: So it did ultimately take me about 9 or 10 months, roughly speaking, when I got to the end of my first draft. And that was a terrifying place to be then because I thought, "Okay, I just honored my creativity. I listened to Creative Mother Universe. Now I have this first draft. What do I do now?" So I ended up hiring a freelance children's book editor. She lives in the Twin Cities. We've never met face-to-face. My goodness, we've had lots of communication between us. So I hired Mary and she went through my manuscript and came up with developmental edits and line edits. And that was the start of a whole new chapter because we ended up working together for a year and a half. And I wrote five drafts. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah. So again, like you were saying about social media, how everything just looks like it, you know, magically appears, you know, oh, I've made my dream come true. Well, again, nope. Let's chunk it out. So first draft, second draft, third draft. But it was a very humbling process and it was very emotional for me because it was hard to put that out there, you know, give that to her. I felt very vulnerable. But she has been incredible. I mean, She's got tough love and she knows her stuff. She's been a children's book agent. She's been a children's book representative. She's published her own manual, like a guide on writing children's literature. So she knows what she's talking about. So really getting vulnerable in that process for me and just handing her the reins and trusting that she was going to lead me through it, that was a big deal for me. There were many times when I cried. (laughs) I'd go out for my walks Pounded the pavement, I would cry, I would do my meditation sessions, I would cry. But at the end of the day, Mary was right. And you know, I haven't been able to go back to grad school. I would love to go get a master's in English or a master's in fine arts. That hasn't been possible. But I feel like going through that process with Mary, she gave me that. Like it has been my own personal. MFA. Wow. When you talk about like crying and feeling vulnerable,
0: I can totally appreciate that. And I'm sure everyone else can appreciate that because it's your book was your baby and your work of art and you felt so proud of it. And then you had to get humble and hear the criticism and hear what you needed to do differently. And I just imagine how hard that would be, how hard it would be to take that in.
1: Yeah, it was, it was really unique. I've never been through anything like that before. I developed a really tough skin as a result of that, a really thick skin. And I think it's made me a better person. Wow. I mean, I've, I've kind of learned to not maybe take things so personally, like I've gotten much better at sort of compartmentalizing, like, okay, Mary gave me this feedback. It's not a reflection on me or my abilities or my creative impulse. It's just Suggestions on how I can tell Claire's story better, so that ultimately it reaches as many kids and as many parents as possible. Because that's at the end of the day, what's most important. It's not just me like saying oh, I get to check a box. I published a book. No, no, no. I want to publish like high quality, meaningful. Book that resonates with people, right? And you got to use your resources. And so, Mary was my number one resource. I mean, she helped me get there. She took my hand and said, Let's do this.
0: Well, I think that reframing, like you talked about, like, okay, this isn't about me. I think that's something that you can apply to all parts of your life, right? Like, okay, I'm going to take this in and I'm not going to take it personally. And I'm going to think about it in a totally different way. So, I think that was a really good tip, just even for anybody, whether they're wanting to write a book or not, is just reframe. And think about it in a different way so you can take it in and you can become, like you said, a bigger, better person. Right. Well, and I think that that goes really well with the next question that I have been dying to ask you. And that is, how is your spirit similar to Claire's spirit? Because she's got some sass and I like
1: that. I love that you asked me that question. No one has asked me that before. I mean, people will ask me, like, is the book autobiographical, you know? And and no, it's not. But Claire definitely has threads of me running through her. She's not the biggest. She's not the fastest. But she shows up every day for her life. And I think that's the biggest Similarity that we share is I feel like I'm the same way. Like I show up and I do the hard work, and that's it. So she's she's very dear to me. I also really appreciate her quiet watchfulness, and she observes a lot, and she takes in a lot of the world around her. She thinks a lot. That's also me. I'm very much in my head a lot of the time, which is also um, a problem at times, and it's a problem for Claire. I think you know she's hard on herself. I'm hard on myself too. So Claire and I kind of helped each other out. It was nice to see how she let go of that. And I find that inspiring for my own self. That's so good. And I will
0: say, just like knowing you, you know, on a personal level, that I also think you're leaving out that you have this big, bright personality that's is fun and funny and joyful. And I mean, when I think about you, I don't think, I'm sure in your own head, which I mean, I have a lot of anxiety myself, so I I can appreciate that being in your head and like all of that. But uh, outwardly, you are just
1: a spirit of joy. (laughs) Thank you. Well, and and it's funny too, because two of the other very important Characters in the book are Claire's mother and her grandmother. Helen is her mom, and Grandma Lulu is her is her grandmother, obviously. And it's funny because I do think that those characters also have threads of me running through them. In particular, Grandma Lulu, I think, is is kind of what you're alluding to. She's this whole spunky person. You know, she's the one who wants to bring her high heels up north with her. And I'm an outdoors girl, but I love cute shoes and cute clothes. And so that definitely came from me. And some of her mannerisms and the way she talks, I'm like, yeah, there's a little bit of me there in Grandma Lulu. So different aspects of myself came out, I think, in different characters, if that makes any sense. It does. And I
0: love it. And I can relate to it <laughs> because I love nothing more than hiking and being in tennis shoes, but I wore wedges to labor and delivery. So God, I love it. <laughs> Yes, yes, and I and I know you and all your sisters and you're always in the wedges. So I'm sure Grandma Lulu and you have that in common. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Okay. So also thinking about the characters, the friends that Claire makes in Wisconsin, Theo and Lola, they are from Ethiopia and South Korea. They are. And I was wondering as I was reading it if they were inspired from your own
1: adoption story and if you could talk a little bit about that. Absolutely. Right. So my husband and I adopted our twin daughters, identical twin girls from China in 2004 when they were about nine months old. And then in 2010, we adopted our son from South Korea and he was about seven, eight months old. And that's the way we chose to build our family. And, you know, when I went into writing Crossing the Pressure Line, I was very intentional about wanting readers, wanting children of all backgrounds and all types of families to be able to see themselves you know, reflected in the pages. And so it was a conscious decision on my part to have Lola and Theo, who are the friends that Claire makes when she goes up north for the summer. It, it was intentional that they were adopted internationally. Well, what I think is brilliant, if I might say so myself, is that there's no attention given to it. I don't like make it a point of the book. I mean, I think they have one brief conversation kind of about, you know, having been adopted and kind of how that changes their insides, but it is not a theme of the book. And I don't really make a big deal about it, nor do I make a big deal about the fact that Lola and Theo have two moms. Because I look around and I see families like that all the time, right? I mean, I don't even know what a traditional family is anymore. I say that in quotation marks. And so I, I just wanted kids to see themselves mirrored in my pages, whatever that looks like. So I don't know. Does that answer your question? It
0: does. And I like that you, like you said, you didn't make this big point of saying they're adopted or they're different or that having two moms was different. And that there are a lot of kids that are probably searching for ways that they can find themselves in stories. So that's fantastic. And of course you did. (laughs) Your answer is your answer. So that's great. But it does lead me to ask you what about the title? How did you come up with it, and does, is there some special
1: significance of it? Oh, yes. So the title, Crossing the Pressure Line. Okay, there's, there's a funny story I would love to tell about this, actually. So my husband, Chip, and I were dating. So this was probably, oh, my gosh, like 25 years ago. I don't remember exactly – what year it was. But he was taking me up north for sort of my first trip up north. And I am like born and raised in Wisconsin, but my family didn't really go up north. That was not one of our vacation spots when I was a kid. The Northwoods for me were sort of this whole like new, exciting place that I had never experienced before. So we are driving up north and we're on Highway 51 heading north. And it's kind of where it crosses Highway 8, just north of Tomahawk. Most people are not going to know what I'm talking about. It doesn't matter. But if you are familiar with Wisconsin, you kind of know the area I'm talking about. There's the four-lane highway, kind of tapers into two lanes, and you do notice sort of a difference in the landscape. So south of Highway 8, there are a lot of deciduous trees, and sort of north of Highway 8... I mean, this is all roughly speaking, of course, you start to see pine trees and evergreens. And so there's just this shift. I didn't notice it, but we're driving along and all of a sudden my husband rolls down all the windows in the car and he's like, Laura, we're crossing the pressure line. And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And he said, come on, like, can't you feel it? Like there's more oxygen in the air. We're, we're heading into a new place. Like leave your worries behind. It's this imaginary pressure line. And I was so struck by that. I love visuals anytime in my life. And that was like such a visual for me. Like, oh my God, we cross highway eight and we are crossing the pressure line, like a new season, a new place, new landscape, a new mindset. You know, we're on vacation now and you can kind of leave your stress, leave it, leave it behind. And so that has stuck with me all these years. And I feel that that whole theme of pressing the pressure line is just it's crucial in our lives, right? And it's crucial for Claire. But then funny enough, now that I'm kind of looking at it objectively, like I've crossed my own pressure line just by writing this book and publishing this book. So it it has been a very meaningful idea for me. And what's funny is I took my husband's words all those years ago in that car ride, and I put them right in the mouth of Grandpa Anthony in that scene, a flashback scene where we see him and Claire and Claire's mom, they're driving up north and he says those exact same things. And when my husband and read that, he was like, oh, that's what I always say. And I said, yeah, honey, it is.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, Laura, I just have to tell you when you were describing the crossing, you know, and the trees changing, I literally closed my eyes and I was like, oh, because we had a place for many years on Castle Rock Lake and I would do the same thing. I would crank the country music, roll down all the windows and be like, God's country, like here we are. And I think whether it's Wisconsin or Michigan or Florida or whatever, everybody has their place where you drive down the road and you roll down the windows and you're like, yes. And you do feel all the pressure, all the worries, everything kind of melts away. So I love that visual. And I feel like that visual is something you can reconnect with in your moments of feeling stressed out. Yeah. That you can close your eyes and be like, Okay, ready to cross the pressure line. And you can imagine that place. So I thank you for sharing that. I think that's amazing. You're welcome. Okay. Well, so I have to ask you. I have been obviously watching all the promotions. You know, you've been in papers and magazines and people sharing your book and everything. And I just have to think like, I know you talked about the vulnerability of writing the book and sending out, but how did it feel to have to like
1: go out and get self-promotion, especially right now in midlife? That's a great question. So in my background in fundraising, I can sell a nonprofit. I can sell a mission. I can sell a program without batting an eye, right? I mean, that's what I've done for all these years in my career. But suddenly then being faced with this idea of selling me, I did find it really overwhelming. But I had this amazing conversation that was pivotal for me so last summer, I sat down and had coffee with Charlotte, and Charlotte is this amazing bookseller here in Madison, and she works at my favorite local independent bookshop. Although we have amazing local independent bookshops here in Madison, it's hard to pick my favorite. But Mystery to me is is my my home bookstore, and ultimately they were the ones that hosted my launch party on March first. So I have a very wonderful relationship with them. But Charlotte and I met for coffee, and she said, "All right, talk it out. What's going on?" And I said, Charlotte, I am just terrified of having to sell myself, like having to go out and like promote myself. Like that just feels like icky to me. That's blah. She said, oh, no, 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 no. She said, you are not selling yourself. You are selling Claire. You're selling Claire's story. You're putting Claire out in the world. And you need to think of all those kids out there and parents who need to hear Claire's story. That's why you're doing this. And for me, that like that shifted everything. I'm like, she's right. I'm doing it for Claire. So that has made all the difference in the world as I have gone out and, you know, pursued all of my promotional stuff and my PR and sending out media releases and press releases and using my connections and getting interviews. I mean, it's just been really quite abundant, like the wonderful response I've gotten, because I think at the core, like I'm doing it for the right reason. Yeah.
0: And okay, first of all, I just have to say I've been really impressed. I think I've even sent you like multiple messages like, whoa, Laura, <laughs> like you're killing, you're killing it over there, which is amazing. But I think, again, it goes back to that reframing that you talked about before. Like you stopped going, oh, it's me selling me. No, it's me selling the opportunity for kids to read this magical yeah. story. Yes. And that's so important. So that is great. Well, okay. Thinking about where you were in your life, you were in the middle of midlife basically when you sat down to write this book. How did being at that stage, at that age, change this for you? Did it feel like a bigger risk or did it feel like a smaller risk? What
1: did that look like? So I know in my heart I never could have written published this book if I had been younger. I feel like being at my age, being in my 40s, being like right in the middle of midlife here has been absolutely essential. And the reason why is because as I've gotten older and as I've matured and gone through life, I have developed a courage and a presence of mind, like a mindfulness and a drive, an inner fire, if you will, that I did not have when I was younger. So I'm using all of these things I've developed in myself to my advantage. I also think it helps that here I am at age 48 and I know how to take care of myself. I know what works for me. I know I need to meditate every day and get outside and take walks. Exercise is non-negotiable for me. I need good sleep, right? I'm not skimping on those things. I'm making them a real priority for me because... Not only does it make me a better writer, but it makes me a better everything, mom, wife, person. But back in my 20s, back in my 30s, that stuff wasn't a priority for me. So I am really using this whole midlife thing to my advantage. I mean, I've got a lot in place now, resources, connections, a certain courage that I didn't have. Yeah.
0: And I think there's a lot of women that can relate to that. Like at this stage, there, I mean, there are not a whole ton of blessings about getting old, right? But one of the greatest. Ones is knowing yourself and knowing what you need and what your day looks like. To be able to take care of yourself. And so I think all those things that you said that you do to take care of yourself that you wouldn't have done, absolutely, you wouldn't have done them in your 20s right. and probably not in your 30s. Right. But now you have the gift and the wisdom to go, yeah, I can take care of myself in this way. So absolutely.
1: I think that's one of the greatest gifts of midlife, actually. I'm finding that really joyful to be able to say, these things are priorities for me and I'm not budging on that. Yeah. I love that.
0: And I think that there are a lot of women in midlife that have had dreams brewing, like you had your book, Dream Brewing, for 15 years. And their dream might not be a book. It might be something completely different, but... Fear is usually the biggest obstacle that I think we all feel to chasing our dreams. So what would you tell that woman that's listening to your story right now about going after a dream after knowing all you know?
1: Well, fear is a real thing. Self-doubt is a real thing. I acknowledge and I validate that. But like I mentioned before, I think if you can consciously kind of put it in a little box, set it aside, and say, you know what? I'll look at you later. I'll pay attention to you later. Right now, I'm going to go after what I've always wanted to go after. And you might have nothing to lose. You might have a lot to lose. But I feel like the what-ifs and all of those deferred dreams really come at a steep cost like to your mental health and to your, your emotional well-being, especially as we get older. The clock is ticking. I mean, I, I don't know. I think at the end of the day, we can be bigger than our fear. Let's just do it. Yeah.
0: I love that. And you're right. Unfortunately, the clock is ticking. And I think the visual of putting your fear into a little box and setting it next to you at your desk is a great visual. And like we talked about before, the cost. You are so right on that. And what's the big dream for Laura next? Do you
1: have an idea? Yes. I am in the process, as we speak, of writing draft number three of my second manuscript, And I am working again with Mary, my editor, and she is putting me through the ringer. But it is bananas amazing, and I feel challenged and alive. And now that I'm going through it a second time, I am a little more chill in some ways because I want to tell this particular story now. And what I will tell you about this manuscript, this story, is that It's not necessarily a sequel to Crossing the Pressure Line. It's more of like a companion book. It kind of picks up where Crossing the Pressure Line ends, but it focuses on a different character. And I won't tell you who that is, but this character has a really interesting backstory, and I wanted to explore that. And I will mention that the idea for his story, again, was just dropped in my lap. Like, Creative Mother Universe came through again. She gave me this idea... I was getting a massage when like face down on the massage table when all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, I know his story. Where did this come from? So as soon as the massage was over, I was frantically like grabbing for a piece of paper, trying to find paper and pen to start writing the things down so I wouldn't forget. But again, I'm going to take it and run with it. So here we
0: go. Wish me luck. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited hearing this because I had no idea you were writing your second book. Yeah. I'm trying. Yep. Well, you're doing it. You're on draft three. Oh my gosh. I love it. Okay. So tell people where they can find your book.
1: Absolutely. So you can find it wherever books are sold. I would love it if you went to your local independent bookshop and asked for it there. If they don't carry it in stock, not a problem. They'll order it for you. They love doing that. But if you are like an online person, you can go to barnesandnoble.com. You can go to Amazon. You can also go to bookshop.org. You can also go to my publisher, which is orangehatpublishing.com. Or my own website, which has links to all of those things. It's laurabirdbooks.com. Ah, Laura,
0: it has been a joy to have you here today. I am so glad that you took time out of your busy whirlwind book world to share your incredibly inspiring story with everyone
1: today. It has been a joy talking with you, Brita. It's awesome. Thank you for all of your hard work and everything that you are doing to shine a bright light on women like us. It's awesome. Thank you. I love it. And thanks to all of you
0: for listening. If you can so kindly tell a friend about the podcast, or even better, leave a review. Apparently, podcast reviews are what lead more people to the podcast. And the more women that join this conversation, the fuller it will be. Thanks again, my friend. I hope today you cross
1: the pressure line.